today on Geekdemian Powers. The end of 2015, uh, there was a Comic-Con here in Seattle called the Emerald City Comic-Con, which has become the second largest on the West Coast after San Diego. But at the time, it wasn't so big. Uh, and we did very well and uh, for a couple of years. And then a company from out of town based out of New York uh, bought it. And it became this kind of cookie cutter comic book convention. And they got rid of all the local talent. They wouldn't take our money for a table next year. And so defeated, we were just like, screw that, whatever. And my mom had the idea of saying that we should do our own convention. And of course, my mom didn't tell me this because if she did, I would have said it's dumb. So she told Dimmy. And then Dimmy is the one who was like, hey, we should run our own convention. You are listening to Geekdom Empowers, the podcast about people empowered through their geekiness. Welcome back! My name is Guy Hasson and this is Geekdom Empowers. Geekdom Empowers is the podcast that highlights creators and fans in the geek world who do not often get to be highlighted. It's these people who make up almost all of the geek world. By talking to each person, by hearing their story, Geekdom Empowers creates a huge, giant, world-sized quilt of the geeks all around the world. Each person is a story and together we are one story, one huge geekverse quilt. Today, we're talking to two people who make up one team. We're talking to Dimi Maheras and Casey Silver, who make up 80% Studios. Their latest comic book, Chickaloonies, is based on the ancient stories told to Dima by his grandmother. In this episode, they talk about their origin stories, about choosing to go down your own path, about working together as one, and about creating events around their comic books, which are amazing so let's listen so uh where, where am i catching you where, where are you guys at now seattle yeah we're both in seattle okay and so what i always you know try to give them in pause i try to highlight people who sometimes don't get uh highlighted as much as say the celebrities so uh can you tell us like your origin story in, into geekdom, into art, into comics, into meeting, meeting each other. Yeah, sure, go ahead, Dave. Okay, um, yeah, I'm originally from Alaska. Uh, I was born and raised up there. Um, I am uh, part Atna Athabaskan. I'm a member of uh, Chickaloon Village, which is uh, an Atna tribe in Alaska. So I was raised uh, hearing the Atna traditional Yanni Da'a stories by my grandma growing up. All my family would hear these stories growing up. And I just kind of plant that seed a little bit ahead of time because eventually when I got to be around uh, 12 years old, my grandma started the Yanni Da'a tribal school, which was Alaska's first tribally run school. And it was me and a handful of my cousins attending uh, where we learned uh, regular you know, educational curriculum, as well as the the language, the dancing, the drumming that that my grandma taught us and my that side of my family taught us. Uh, and it was around that time that I got into comic books. Um, you know, I, I fell in love with comic books. It was the 90s. Uh, Image comics were there coming out and it 
that, that took hold. And, uh, I've been, you know, kind of obsessed with, with making art and, and telling stories in art ever since then. Um, we can kind of return to that a little bit, uh, because I ended up going back to work, uh, for Chickaloon Village after I graduated high school and illustrated, uh, art for language curriculum. And also I turned some of our family's Yanni Da'a stories that the stories that my grandma had told into like full color comic books. And, um, that kind of kickstarted, uh, my career. It got me a lot of exposure. They had a really great, um, you know, reception. People loved the, the comic books that I made and they sell to this day and they opened a lot of doors and a lot of opportunities for me. Um, so you just ran over like tons of things I have questions about. So uh, let's stop here. Casey, you want to fill in that space and then I'll ask you both. Um, so uh, I grew up, I learned how to read on black and white turtles comics uh, when I was a kid and um, I've, I've just never looked, my entire life has been spent in comic books, um, you know, kind of to, to the detriment of anything else. I, uh, I don't know a lot about a lot of stuff, but I, I know a lot about comic books. Um, it was really like my, uh, I didn't have many friends. Um, and it was really, you know, I was uncool. And it was really something that gave me a place to, you know, kind of feel like I belonged somewhere, even if it was in my head and escape. Um, and it instilled in me this desire to tell stories. And um, fast forward to many years later, I'm about 23 and I'm living in Seattle and uh, Dimmy uh, comes into the comic book store that I worked at. I worked at Xanadu Comics here in Seattle for about 12 years. And uh, it's and at the time I had just very beginning started to kind of write some stories out and decide that I wanted to make comics. And it's very rare that an artist comes in looking for a writer. And Dimmy had come in and he wanted to not just make illustrations, he wanted to tell stories. And um, so, and I sent him away at the first time, you know, cause I was like, yeah, whatever, you know, I mean, when we nothing would come of it. And then- and how, did you know you, how did you know you could write? He didn't, I didn't tell him. Okay. You know, he just came in looking for it and being the guy at the comic book store, he thought maybe I would know somebody, you know, and so I didn't tell him. And then I just I gave him some suggestions and, and he went away and he came back two weeks later and I kind of took it as a sign from the universe that I was like, OK, fine. And so I told him that, you know, I write stories and uh, we formed 80 uh, percent studios, which is our company uh, in about 20, uh, 2010. Uh, 2009, somewhere around there, and uh, we've been making comics together ever since. So cool. So I still want to go. Let's stop here. I'm going to go back to childhood days. So listening to uh, Dimi, listening to the old stories, the old uh, folklore. Sometimes people, kids, have enough of that and don't want to hear it at all. You know, they don't want to hear the old people's uh, stories. So how, your attitude was different, right? Yeah, my family really, um, you know, emphasized respecting our elders and held my grandma in a very high regard. Um, she was raised by her grandparents who were full 100%, you know, Atna Athabaskan. They spoke the language and they passed down to her uh, a lot of their teachings. 
And her, out of her siblings, she was the one that really, you know, continued the culture and the language and all the, the lessons and teachings. So, you know, hearing the stories, my whole family, you know, all my cousins knew every one of those stories. They would teach lessons. Uh, they were entertaining. Grandma was like a very good storyteller. Um, you know, she could, you know, talk, tell the story with different voices and kind of describe the characters walking along. And, uh, you know, it put pictures in my mind. And it was the, the 80s. And I was a little kid and I saw the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which was, you know, something that me and Casey really connected on. And it was that concept of anthropomorphism, taking animals and merging them with human characteristics because the stories that grandma tell many of them were about animals that had human characteristics. And that's a very common theme in um, native American storytelling and stories. But in my mind, I pictured those characters almost as like, you know, how Ninja Turtles was like part human, part animal. And it really sparked, you know, uh, inspiration in me. And I would try to draw those those stories and draw those characters ever since I was a little kid. So in a lot of ways, making those stories and, uh, you know, working with my grandma, it was like my first collaboration as an artist to work with a storyteller. So that really planted the seed for me and what I would do uh, in the future. I, I do want to go with something that is less geeky, but I think it's interesting. What was the first, uh, you went to the first tribal school in Canada? What was that? Alaska. Alaska, sorry. What was that uh, like? Uh, it was a, it was definitely a change. Uh, I actually moved in uh, with my grandma. My little brother and I lived with my grandma uh, for the school year, for those two years that I attended. And uh, we, you know, which was, my, my grandma kind of lived out of the city. So she lived, you know, uh, out, out kind of in the woods a little bit, but it was around a lot of my family, my other cousins and stuff lived out there. And so attending that school was a, a shock a little bit because I was, you know, used to going to public school and uh, then kind of transitioning into our, you know, into our tribal school was a big change. Um, but, you know, I was around my family, my family loved me. Uh, it was, uh, you know, fun. Graham, we started doing uh drumming and dancing and singing. Like we started the Yanni Da'a drum troupe and we would go around to different gatherings and um, we had, you know, our different songs, the welcome song, the Raven song, and we would get out there and bang the drum and sing the songs. And, you know, grandma felt that it was really important because it showed that the, the younger generation was carrying on those traditions. And she really made us like kind of fearless in a lot of ways because I was so embarrassed and I was so shy. But, uh, you know, going to like a big, you know, event, a big gathering, a powwow, and we'd have to get out there in front of everybody and do that. I mean, it really kind of helped, um, you know, with, with my anxiety or stage fright, if you will. And it was that time that I was really getting into comic books. So during that time, you know, I'd go back to stay with mom in Anchorage in the city on the weekends. And I would reload, get all the new comic books I could find. And, uh, you know, I was spending most of my time just reading comics and uh, doing artwork and playing outside with, with my, my cousins in, in the woods. These are all planting seeds in my head uh, that will kind of sort of come to fruition in the most recent project that we're working on now, uh, Chickaloonies. So I can hear the seeds. 
And I have, yeah. Uh, so, Casey, what were your seeds? You know, my what? Your seeds, like. Oh, Ninja uh, Turtles. I mean, yeah, Ninja Turtles. Um, my dad. So, uh, my dad took me to a lot of movies, and I really just love, like I said, storytelling in general. Um, just the, you know, we we're all like living stories, all of us, you know, all of us are storytellers, even if we don't know it, you know, we've got all our experiences and, and, you know, uh, uh, emotions and perspective. And some people are just better at um, communicating that than others. And so, like I said, you know, learning how to read on comic books and then going to a lot of movies um, at a very young age and really getting this kind of like cinema education uh, from my dad, which was really cool. And it really helped me understand how to craft a story, you know, how to build a narrative that is engaging um, and to uh, try to develop characters that, you know, people care about, um, which is really the heart of storytelling is the characters, you know, I mean, as long as you care about the characters, it doesn't matter if they're going to get coffee or if they're going to save the princess. You know, I mean, it's really those are just details, you know, it's all about our uh, human connection to characters that may or may not even be human, you know, which is a cool part of the native stories is that you've got these animals that have some kind of human characteristics, but at the same time, they are animals and their spirits, too. And it gives it this very otherworldly feel um, that works really well being adapted into comic books, uh, which we found out, which is cool. Um, and we'd done you know, 10 years worth of comics before we started doing Chickaloonies. Um, and a lot of it was, you know, just learning how to tell stories. It's one thing to kind of understand the general idea and it's another thing to really execute it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very much a product of pop culture. Um, and I've always just wanted to kind of give back to the, the tapestry of stories that really made me who I am and, and gave me so much, so. You know, people listening to the podcast but will not see this, but people seeing the video will see it. From the way you two react to each other, you have chemistry. Like it seems like you're in sync. You have a you yeah. own, uh, wavelength, which is yeah, rare we're, we're, to find someone. But. We're very lucky. You know, that partnership, that collaboration is something that people chase their whole lives. And again, like I said, you know, the universe really brought us together. I feel, you know, storytellers from like different ways, like, you know, Dimmy, as he said, his, his grandma and his mother were both storytellers and that's kind of passed to him. And while I may not have that heritage, you know, I still have that, that kind of soul of a storyteller and between the two of us um, coming from a certain era and, you know, we're roughly the same age and we have a lot of early influences that are similar um you know we've developed this this communication where he's my brother you know i mean he's really like this collaboration with him and making these comics has been you know the reason i get up in the morning you know it's really what keeps me going and it's something that the longer we do it the better it gets and uh uh we hope that our our comics feel like a very a thing made by one person you know that where our stuff is so organic that it really comes out as something that that feels very um, uh, flows very well, which you know, like I said, is really hard. So I, I feel very fortunate. Yeah, I was uh, through the power of the internet. I was able to read the first pages of Chickaloons, 
and and I really didn't know what 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 each one of you did because it did look like a creation of one person. Cool. So that is uh, impressive. Let's uh, let's go still one step at a time. Like you met in a comic book store, you still didn't know you had this chemistry. Uh, you were two strangers and you decided to collaborate on one thing. How did that become, let's create a studio? Go ahead. Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, I think we both at that point in our lives knew that we wanted, that this was the path we wanted to follow. And, uh, you know, I, I felt that I was lacking in certain areas uh, with how I wanted to, you know, make comic books and make that a part of my life. And Casey sort of just, had this mindset and this skill set that sort of like kind of like yin and yanged uh with what my strengths were and uh i think it was pretty obvious like right after we hung out the first couple times and we were kind of like you know brought our sketchbooks brought our notepads we we're like what do we want to do what are we thinking and it became clear very quickly that we both like had the same inspirations uh, we had the same kind of goals. We wanted to make the, the same kind of books, the same kind of stories, the same kind of energy. Um, and we just started uh, kind of like breaking down, like what were our influences and what would, what would we think would be fun to, uh, to tell a story like as our first, as our first go or our first, you know, book. And we decided on something, you know, very cyberpunk, which is a passion of both of ours. And we thought, hey, we live in Seattle. Let's make a Seattle uh, cyberpunk story. And that's where we came up with the idea for our first uh, book, Gutter Town, which we continued uh, making for five issues. And uh, it's, you know, kind of like our, our baby that we sort of created and built this world and built this story. And since then, we've made other books, too. We, we've done other uh, stories as well. We did... Um, Nemesis Enforcer, which was an anthology style book, like a heavy metal magazine style, all local Seattle artists um, that Casey helped, you know, arrange and put together. And we had stories, sort of like chapters included in that. We did an all ages action adventure uh, comic called Dallas Merchant, which is kind of like uh, a Saturday morning cartoon version of uh, Big Trouble in Little China. And uh, where, where, go, go. Let's let's go back to Gunner and let's go one by one and give like slightly longer explanations about what's in them. Like, oh, cool. Yeah. Of- okay. So, Guttertown takes place in a post-apocalyptic uh, vision of our world, where Seattle's become or no uh, cities have become these like condensed, uh, you know, corporate-run protected areas, and then everything outside of the cities is kind of like the Wild West and you know chaos. And in these cities, they're under lockdown and controlled by these, you know, corporations. And uh, that's kind of sets the stage for Guttertown. And the story we wanted to tell was uh, an idea that I had for a video game. And I can't make video games. I don't know how to do programming. But I really wanted to try to explore this idea of kids who uh, kind of like use music and electronic music as um, kind of like a... Uh, a way to escape this, you know, this, this, you know, controlled city and all this oppression. And they have this substance that they use in these devices that they use where they can sort of metabolize this 
this substance and it allows them to visually manifest and interact with sound. So there's kids that specialize in this and they're called beat fighters and they sort of like have these, you know, dance battles and people go and watch and like bet on them. I'm a huge uh, fan of electronic music uh, ever since I was young. So's Casey. Um, that was kind of like the first arc of gutter town. Okay. And the next comic book. Casey, you want to take it? Uh, yeah, that Dallas Merchant was our attempt to kind of do something a little more uh, all ages. Cause we both really like all ages stuff and like, you know, like early dragon ball and like avatar the last airbender where it's really genuinely for everyone, not like kids, not just kids, you know? Um, and so we took this idea. I, I went to school with this guy named Dallas Merchant, and I always thought it was an amazing name. And I told him I was going to steal it and use it one day. And so we did. And um, we uh, it was cool because we were able to take we did it a few issues after we did Gutter Town and we used it uh, or we were able to take what we learned and make what I feel is is at the time our most engaging first issue. And it, it was about a young girl named Dallas who was a tattoo artist in um, this kind of like bombed out uh, Los Angeles type of thing. Um, and she's got this lunkhead buddy uh, who um, has like a cybernetic arm and uh, who she does tattoo work with. And she basically um, has to uh, find her, her grandfather who has been missing, who was kind of uh, taught her like these kind of mystical mandala arts. And so, the two of them go on this uh, adventure that has like demons and kind of this like Indian lore. And uh, it's kind of like Indiana Jones meets uh, Big Trouble in Little China a little bit. Um, but it was fun. And uh, like I said, we learned a lot on how to make the first issue more engaging. And it was really a step up for us as a uh, uh, as a, you know, storytellers. Um, and it really came in a lot of fun. Uh, and that one I still we only ever did one issue, uh, but uh, it's something we really want to return to. So cool. and the next one, what was after that? Uh, what else did we do? There was we in, in Nemesis Enforcer, uh, we did two different stories, one called Bartan, which were characters that I had come up with, which were like straight turtles, uh, anthropomorphi anthropomorphized um, uh, crew of like kind of bounty hunters type of thing. Um, and, uh, it was kind of a little bit like Firefly where they go around and, uh, you know, do jobs and, and, uh, you know, across the, the universe and stuff like that. Uh, and then the other story that we did was Bad City, which was kind of like a psychedelic side scroller kind of beat em up thing that were Dimmy's characters. And, uh, that one was really cool. He really turned out some, some very psychedelic, very, you know, kind of Eon Flux stuff which is really cool. These kind of silent mm -hmm. shorts that I, I really loved. Um, and so those four books were the initial foundation of what would be 80% studios. Sounds like, unlike most people, you have really cool head, uh, heads on your shoulders. We try. I mean, we're just worried about making fun comic books. Like that's, you know, there's not much else we have to worry about in life. We're pretty lucky about that. And, well, that's great. And, uh, but I, I also mean, you, you didn't seem to chase fame. You didn't seem to chase, you know, we'll be millionaires if we do this and then we'll go and do that. And we, we are learning as we go along. You didn't start out saying we're geniuses and everything we do is perfect. 
Yeah, no, we're we're still. I mean, we've been trying to sell out for like ten years, but nobody will nobody will buy us. Um, so we uh, we really made a decision to just tell our story, you know, and uh, whether that gets us money or not, um, that that'll come. But it's it's just like anything else, where if you enjoy what you're doing and you enjoy who you're doing it with, then you're rich on the inside. You know, you are wealthy. Yeah. Uh, that is good. But by the way, did, that's a question I saved for the end, but uh, did anyone today, you know, there's a lot more, uh, there's Netflixes and Amazon Prime and stuff like that. Did anyone approach you about any of the things you did? Are you going TV or movies? No. Uh, Um, no, we, we, uh, we, like Casey said, we kind of made a decision early on and there's usually two ways you can kind of go in my mind, there's two ways to go about, you know, chasing success in comic books. One is you kind of go the traditional way where you, you know, you, you develop your skills as an artist or a writer, and then you work for one of the big companies, you know, hopefully Marvel or DC. And eventually you can kind of like create your own if you wanted to work at image comics, but it's sort of like the industry, you know, traditional standard of how to get into comic books. The other way, which we were, you know, which we decided we wanted to chase was we want to tell our own stories. We want to do it our way. We want to develop as a, you know, as a studio on our own and like hopefully develop kind of grassroots following and, you know, you know, uh, share our work with people at conventions, all original art. We're not worried about trying to draw Spider-Man. We're not worried about trying to draw, you know, Batman. Um, We want to create our own stories with our own characters. And it might not take off. It might just be us, you know, developing as, as storytellers and artists, you know, for years and years to come without any real payoff. But, you know, we self-published, self-printed all of our books. Uh, we, we made merch, T-shirts, um, you know, stickers, all the fun stuff like that. We would go to conventions and, uh, we would, you know, Casey's really good kind of at like selling and, and, and roping people in. He's worked at a comic book shop his whole life. So uh, he would get people come in and we would be like, hey, what do you like? Check out if you like, you know, if you like, you know, whatever X-Men, then you'll like Bartan or, you know, it, you know, if you like cyberpunk, check out Guttertown. And then we would kind of like get uh, a fan base there and people would follow us on Instagram and we kind of have built it ourselves. And the, the, the best we were you know, the best we could ask for was at least to, you know, recoup our costs, uh, printing books and printing our merch. And we always were able to, I mean, it was kind of like, you know, we weren't defeated or we weren't, you know, discouraged because we weren't like making tons of money or anything like that. I mean, we've always kind of had day jobs to, to maintain us through because this is a work of passion. This isn't, um, this isn't like, you know, quick fame or, or getting rich quick kind of a scheme. This is like, what we want to do, you know, for ourselves first. Yeah. I've noticed among indie comic book creators, I've interviewed for the show, that the ones who last the longest are the ones with that attitude. We're just trying to cover the costs, get to as many people as possible, doing this for myself, first of all, and trying to get the story out rather than to let my ego drive the thing and be sure that I'll find success quickly or money quickly and uh, or fame quickly. Uh, that gets people to last much longer. Uh, yeah. 
I mean, there's easier ways to make money if you're just after money. Sure. Can can you just I want to like delay on that small part of finding a base. How did you case it? How did you do like if you're the person doing most of the talking to people? How did you find a how did you go about finding a base? Uh well, I mean, uh, you know, after working at a comic book store for so long, you uh it's it's actually it's like being a bartender which i am now um but you you learn to read people you know and you when you when you work at a store you understand not just what it takes to make a comic not what it takes to promote a comic but what it really takes to get somebody to part with four dollars on the floor to buy a comic book it's a very different skill set that not a lot of comic creators have and i've been very fortunate that i've been a fan a retailer, a publisher, a creator, and we even threw our own convention, you know, um, and we distribute our own stuff too. So I've done the whole thing. And by seeing it from all perspectives, you can really understand how screwed up the comic book industry is, where it's completely asked backwards and really not set up for people to succeed. Um, but by knowing that, you know, it's it helps um communicate you know especially when you're when you're promoting stuff it helps you know like what avenues to use and at a convention specifically i mean i can look at somebody and know whether they're going to buy a comic or not you know i mean the people some people just have that look where like oh cool i like to support these kind of things or oh cool i just want to look you know um and um i'm pretty good with people i'm pretty good at talking to people and uh you know it took a few years but we would do you know we did a handful of conventions we did well at them and uh we had a really cool setup where i'm sure i don't know you know how many comic cons you've been to but usually it's just you know two guys behind a table and they tend not to look at you or you know i mean it's it's this weird thing where you walk down these aisles and you try not to catch the eye of the person you know you just kind of want to look at the art because maybe you don't want to spend money Whereas we, like, I would come in front of the table. We had, like, handouts of little uh, pamphlets for our stuff. You know, it was like, hey, you want a free pamphlet for our comics? Like, you just interact with people. You know, you get a little bit, you know, not, like, in their face, but you just, you you make your presence known. And people are kind of taken aback by that. And they're like, whoa, what's going on here? And then Dimmy is great at, like, just drawing stuff on the spot. And so he would draw little sketch cards. We made, like, these little sketch cards for all the people who bought our comics. And so he would do 20, 30 sketches in a day which is really awesome more. And um, we just had a really good routine of kind of like roping them in and, you know, getting them excited about it. Because if you're excited about what you're selling or what you're promoting, then that by proxy, people become excited. And we were also fortunate too, to have this uh, really cool animation that was made by our friend Chip Downing uh, that we had on a laptop on the table. So you would come over to the table and there was like a laptop with animation and we had all this cool art. We had signs, you know, and I was I was very kind of like I said, you know, loud and, and whatever. And we had the spiel down. And so it attracted people. Um, and uh, over the years, we were able to kind of refine that, um, you know, into we recently went uh, on tour in Alaska for two weeks to uh, promote and celebrate the release of the first book of Chickaloonies. And that culminated in a live storytelling experience that we developed together. And it was very similar where I would tell a story and Demi used the art and we really found a way to connect with people 
through a, a very ancient and powerful and primal method of storytelling, just like his mother, Demi's mother and grandmother. And we were able to continue that tradition and then kind of have Chickaloonies, the book, almost as secondary to where it's a thing that they can get and take away and learn more from the world that we created, but also have that experience of hearing the story built into that book, which we found really um, made them emotionally connected more, which is something that, you know, when I look back, kind of what we did initially with the with the animation and the laptop but this was much more of organic thing and um you know really carried on that that storytelling heritage that is part of Dimmy's family um which I, I think we're both really proud of that is some uh, uh project how i have two questions on that how did you create your own conventions uh so the we, we only did one it was just so crazy that, to be honest, we, we never did it again, even though it went really well. Um, but in the end of 2015, uh, there was a Comic-Con here in Seattle called the Emerald City Comic-Con, which has become the second largest on the West Coast after San Diego. But at the time, it wasn't so big. Uh, and we did very well and uh, for a couple of years. And then a company from out of town based out of New York uh, bought it. And it became this kind of cookie cutter comic book convention. And they got rid of all the local talent. They wouldn't take our money for a table next year. And so defeated, we were just like, screw that, whatever. And my mom had the idea of saying that we should do our own convention. And of course, my mom didn't tell me this because if she did, I would have said it's dumb. So she told Dimmy. And then Dimmy is the one who was like, hey, we should run our own convention. And uh, we started at the very end of 2015 in December. And it was five guys. And we were in a coffee shop in Belltown in downtown Seattle called Bedlam Coffee, which isn't there anymore. And we put together the very first drawings of what would be hometown heroes. And it was like 23 local artists. And it was a different style uh, comic book convention. Gone were like the myriad, you know, maze of tables. We set it up almost like a club, like a party, like a, you know, gathering thing where we had tables kind of putting kind of a diamond around this event space next to the comic book store that I worked at that had comic books on them from all the local artists. And we had uh, a DJ, we had loud music and we had lights and we partnered with 10 local artists or 10 local businesses that all showed up there. So they kind of had booths um, and we had a much more interactive thing where you get rid of the tables and then you find this, it's much more of just a, a collaborative party. And um, it was a massive success, to be honest. It was really quite amazing. It was one of the, the greatest things that I've ever done and that we've ever done. Uh, but it was just madness. I mean, it was wrangling 23 cats together to do this thing, doing everything last minute. Um, but we fundraised the whole thing. We raised a shit ton of money. We made a lot of money for everyone, you know, for all of these artists. We were able to pay everybody to, have, you know, had a really good night. We had beer and wine. Um, you know, we went to the convention and, and promoted and a lot of artists came and um, it was really magical. You know, it was really a magical thing. And it really reinforced that what Demi and I had was special and that we shared it with everybody. Um, but it was just it was just so good. It kind of knocked us off our feet. You know, it was one of those things that you don't expect something like that to be so effective, as it were. And it, it kind of, you know 
dealing with that sometimes is is kind of strange but um yeah it was it was really quite magical so that's amazing i have to before we go we have to talk about chica loonies yeah Dimi. you can tell people uh what it's about uh chica loonies uh takes place in a world of perpetual darkness, the, the sun has gone away. Uh, the story follows uh, two young Alaska Native friends, uh, Sasquatch Emoji and Mr. Yelly. And uh, they will venture out on a quest to, uh, to uh, save the world, basically. They'll use the language of their tribe, the teachings of their grandma and uh, their imaginations. And they will venture to uh, foreign lands to learn from different cultures, share the knowledge of their own. And, uh, you know, this is all kind of sort of, uh, uh, a tribute to the, the stories I heard from my grandma growing up. Uh, those were the traditional Yanida'a stories and, uh, a big inspiration for Chickalunis is trying to create sort of a new modern Yanida'a legend. Um, that would be truthful and it would be, you know, uh, kind of rooted in those traditional legends and those traditional uh, concepts that that teach you morals and teach you values. Uh, and it's probably the best thing that we've ever done. Um, it's it's a story, yeah, it's a story that is about it's a story about storytelling it's about, uh, you know, it's, it's based on old stories. Um, Casey, you want to kind of jump in and, and talk a little bit about it? Yeah, it's, it's we, we have a couple of themes that, like Denise said, we wanted to take the, the, the lessons and ideas and values of the traditional Atna Athabascan stories, Yanida stories, and just present them in a new way for a new generation. You know, we wanted to make something that, was really fun on the surface. We wanted something that entertained. Like if you don't know anything about it, it's just a fun kind of Alaskan manga, you know, about these two goofy kids who are trying to make their way in the world, um, you know, who, who live with their grandma and, uh, you know, learn about language and learn about things that, you know, most people in the world don't, don't focus on, you know, don't care about. Um, and they venture out from their small village and basically interact with all these other different cultures who have very different perspectives on how to live. And I think there's a lot that can be said about looking back to kind of the quote unquote old ways and ways of, you know, just using what you need and a lot of the values that Native Americans um, hold dear and still live true to are something that really could be applied to our modern world. Um, and we just wanted to kind of exaggerate that and make this world, you know, of perpetual darkness that kind of almost looks like the background that you have there, um, where it's got this very like ethereal, you know, kind of, uh, you know, magical fantasy world um, that, like I said, was a very all ages thing, like an avatar or Dragon Ball. Um, but it's like a coming of age story, you know, about legends, language, magic and the journey that it takes to discover one's own story in our ever-changing world. You know, it's really hard to find your places as a kid and as an adult. And we're hoping that by presenting these, these values, especially to kids at a young age, they'll care and question about where they come from, whether they be, you know, native or not. 
you know, whatever your culture is, there are stories that have made your people, you know, they define who you are and how you interact with the world around you. You know, it's, it's the same events, but everyone has their own perspective as to how they unfolded. And by learning and listening, you know, to people who are different from you, you can then really learn about yourself and the world around you. And so that idea of collaboration, which is integral to Demi and I's process, that's like the core of it. And I'm not Native, but Demi's Native. And it's about this real honest way to culturally collaborate in our very minefield-laden world, you know, social justice and stuff like that, where it's very, you know, the lines are, aren't, you know, they're not drawn really. I mean, it's, it's unsure as to where certain things are. And we're trying to show a way where two people from different cultures can come together, united by the power of art, to share a thing that we love with people, help hopefully them understand their place in the world and how to collaborate with other people that may not be the, the same of them and, and see the world differently. So. Those are amazing parting words. That's uh... That's a monologue to end on. Thank you so much to Casey and Demi. I do believe we've only scratched the surface with those two. They have such unique perspective on selling their comic books and creating events around them that I think most of you listening would benefit a lot from. I know I would. Plus, I'd like to delve deeper into the myths. So will they be back? Won't they be back? We'll find out in the future. If only we had a time machine. <laughs> so you can find Casey and Demi uh, at the website www.80percent-studios.com, Instagram at 80percentstudios, Twitter at 80percentstudio, studio, studio, single. Now, next time, because there's always a next time in this huge Geekverse quilt, there are always more stories, more people who take their own paths. So next time, we will take a first step delving into the world of Chinese science fiction. Come back for that and hit subscribe so you don't forget. What did you think about this episode? Email me at guy.hasson at geekdomainpowers.com. I really, 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 really want to hear from you. The website is geekdomainpowers.com. On Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, we're at geekdomainpowers. My name is Guy Hassan. And if you want to check out my other podcast, The Squashbuckler Diaries, uh, it is an experiment in epic fantasy. So feel free to check it out, The Squashbuckler Diaries podcast. I will see you next time. And for now, have an empowered day.